You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. And welcome to Alouette's Flight Deck, podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football. I am Tim Capper, along with Cliffy D. Hey, Cliff. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Dow. I'm all right. Uh, you know, it's just another day, another day in paradise, as they say. Yep. Well, yep. if you and, consider it a lockdown paradise yeah. <laughs> or curfew paradise. <laughs> well, it's funny you speak of paradise. It's, it's sort of a different type of show that we have uh, this episode, but we're going to be speaking with a gentleman who lives in Hawaii basically full-time in the off-season. Um, well, I, I gotta say, if, if you're gonna, if, if you gotta hunker down in a <laughs> pandemic and be locked down somewhere, I can think of a lot of worse places to be than Hawaii. I know. I mean, what? They have a volcano? That's even cooler. Yeah, I'm all for that. That's I got no problem cooler. with volcanoes. Yeah, I've always, I've always wanted a, my own lava pool. Come on. Uh, we'll be speaking with former <laughs> Alouettes uh, coach Jeff Reinbold, but it, it's just to talk about his entire history. He had. If 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 you right now are not sure where you're going in life, what you want to do, are stuck on something in particular in your life, listen to this interview because, as I mentioned to Cliff after the interview, I learned that that there are his what he was able to tell us just it made a hell of an impression. Uh, not just on me, but I know on Cliff, and I hope that it, it makes an impression on you guys too, because um, it, it's it's not something you necessarily hear from a coach, but it's how it's his hit, it's everything put together for him, and I, you, you guys can't miss it. We'll be playing that in the in the next couple of minutes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just be able to sit down and chat with Coach Reinbold about, like I said, not just his time with the Alouettes, and not just with how things are going with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, but just in life in general and just his career from being a coach in uh, several different uh, organizations to his uh, analyst job with Sky Sports out in the in the United, in the United Kingdom. I mean, like he, like he has seen a lot. He has done a lot. He has been a lot. I mean, like Jeff Reinbold has de- – he, he would probably qualify as like the most interesting man in the Canadian Football League. After hearing some of the stories even off air, as I said, if you needed – Again, listen. I think it's it'll be well worth the the time that we that you're going to be listening. It'll go it'll go quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, as we are taping this, we there is no word yet on what is happening with the 2021 CFL season. There are some, supposedly some rumors going on that they're they're going to be deciding today and deciding and coming out with an announcement tomorrow, uh, which would be the 21st. Um, if there is any information. That comes out there. If we need to drop a new, another podcast, we will do so. But you, we will talk about everything as it as it comes over the wire because obviously we want to know when the CFL is going to be playing in twenty twenty one. You know, so I didn't say if when the CFL will be playing in twenty twenty one because a lot of teams, uh, at least two or three teams so far, have their, their presidents have come out and said we are planning to play. We are planning to have a season in some way, shape, or form. Uh, again, still didn't want to get into any details or get into too many specifics, but like they, they truly felt in their heart of hearts that there will be a CFL season in 2021 in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's 
it's good that they they've got that confidence. It's good that they've been able to project that and help you know help give fans hope, if nothing else, because that's at the end of the day, this is what we want: is we want to have a CFL season of some sort. I mean, if it's going to be eighteen games, great. If it's going to be less than that, so be it. Mm-hmm. I, I I think we just want answers. We just want to know that the, the CFL, the commissioner, the board of governors, all nine teams, as long as everybody's on the same page and committed to playing a season somehow. Like we, we can worry about the details and all the logistics afterwards. It's just, we just want to know that there's going to be CFL football being played somehow, mm-hmm. some way in 2021. I, I agree. Um, one of the things to me though, I think, you know, there was talk earlier and they're saying, you know, we, it's very possible that we won't be playing with fans in the stands or we don't want to play with fan without fans in the stands. Um, you know, maybe it would happen for the first month, you know, if this were the, the season were to start on time, but obviously with what's happening currently in most of the provinces now and, you know, Ontario specifically, what has, you know, three of the, three of the nine franchises, mm-hmm. um, it, it's really can't, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen, but I, I, I just makes me wonder Cliff, cause I put this out on social media, you know, if the league is so hard up for funds or does it's really against playing with without fans in the stands there are in my opinion there are ways that, that it can be done in which they would make some revenue um you know as i put on social media is that you know i wish that the league if, if that's the case if there are x amount of games that the league can't have fans go the route of what they've done in, in, in the ncaa for football do what they've done in the case for 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 major league baseball um i, I can't they did it did they do it for basketball i can't remember if they did it for basketball or not um you know, I am sure, depending on what city that you're in, and obviously we're talking about Montreal specifically, but I'm sure there are more, there are dedicated, there are such hardcore fans out there that they would be willing to spend anywhere between, I would I would imagine 60 and up mm-hmm. for an X amount of games to have your virtual self there in, I don't say cardboard, but in plastic or however they do it, you know, like they've done for the Blue Jay games and stuff like that. They, teams would be making some money. Yep. You know, I mean, it, it. I'm sure it could work. And considering how small some of the stadiums are here in the CFL, I think it would work quite well. And hell, if you think about it, sixty bucks over two games. So it's thirty dollars a game. Sure, they wouldn't be getting all revenue. I mean, what, what's your thought on this, Cliff? I mean, I would hope that if we have no, if we aren't able to go see games live for the first couple of weeks. I would think that I would hope that teams would be looking at some sort of alternate revenue. Mm-hmm. And also, too, like the, the other way to look at it, too, is to maintain that engagement with fans as well, because that's yeah. the one thing the CFL has prided itself on for decades uh, now is that this league is so dialed in with its fans. And there's that connection with the fan base uh, and, and all nine teams like just. Having something like that, like it's not what we expected to have or hope to have, maybe, but at least, as you said, it's it's still a chance for you to feel connected to your team, to feel like you're still a part of the game day experience. Yeah. And if it's a chance for the team to make some sort of revenue, I mean, yes, you're going to get your money from TSN as far as the contract goes. That's that's a given. But if this is another, you know, sort of avenue, if you will, to help bring in some revenue and help you know, defray some of the costs of running a professional football team while at the same time helping fans feel like they're still connected to their team or their league, however you want to phrase it. I mean, this is definitely something that this is something that the NFL did last year uh, as far as uh, having fan representation. Oh, that's right. They did. You're right. I forgot about the NFL. Yeah. 
I mean, they did it, and I don't know how successful it was. I don't know how if people felt like they got their money's worth out of it, just knowing that their cardboard likeness was a part of the game. Hey, you got it at the end too, man! What a great souvenir. This is true. I mean, and it's a—it's really one of those once in a lifetime kind of things. At least we hope it's once in a lifetime. But I mean, this this may be something that the CFL would have to explore. And I have to think that this would get a much better fan reaction than shelling out 400 shekels for uh, <laughs> being on the Grey Cup fan base. Yes. Yes. You know, I, I, I see. I, it's I, funny. I, I'm not going to pay yeah. another year of season tickets just to have my name on the base, but I would be more than happy to do this. Because I thought about doing it for the Jays, mm-hmm. whether, whether it was in Toronto last year or whether it was in Dunedin, uh, sorry, in Buffalo last year or Dunedin this year. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd do it. I would do it in a heartbeat. I really would. It would be great to see, you know, my virtual self. I think it would work well, I would think. I, it's, it's, just, I mean, it just makes me wonder, uh, how much is the league thinking outside of the box to do this? Well, and... Again, I don't even know if this is something they've even entertained because, again, they, they have made it very clear that they want to have fans in the stands in some way, shape, or form. But Well, there we go. There's, it's, there's, it's, there's, there's some way, shape, or form. You're, you're right. And that's, that's probably how they'd even get, get around dude, saying something like that is like, well, listen, we didn't say how you'd be yeah, part of the dude, game. They, you they, just would be part of the game. But think of it this way. Even if they get to a point where they can have partial fans in the stands, right? Mm-hmm. They can still offer this. Sure. This is what they're currently doing in Major League Baseball. Yeah, because let's face it, like, we're not going to get 20,000 people at Molson Stadium this year. I mean, it's just... No, what, but if whether you can still have virtual selves, hmm? why not? I, I definitely, again, I, I'm with you. I definitely think it's something that the league and all nine teams should definitely be exploring, especially with, you know, each provincial regulations seeming to vary from province to province, uh... God only knows when everybody will actually get the green light to be able to go and attend a game. Like, will you have to be vaccinated to attend a game? Will you have to, you know, still wear your mask? I imagine that's a, a given at this that's point. That's a but, given. I mean, and I've, but, I've already said I, I, I would do it. So Of course. I, likewise. Like, and again, I, I'd say the same thing. Like, oh, I got to be vaccinated? No problem. I have to wear a mask the whole time? Fine. Whatever it takes. Yep. I, mean, I just want to be in there and watching football. Tell me what I got to do and I'll do it. I'm sure you're in, you're in the exact same boat as they. Yeah. Yeah, I'd rather so. see virtual selves in the stands than saying like the the past this past weekend for uh, uh, for FC Snowflake. I, I mean, sorry, the Impact. I mean, FC Montreal. Sorry, <laughs> uh, CF Montreal. Yeah, either uh, yeah, yeah, CF CF Snowflake. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> then you know because they are playing in Fort Lauderdale where the was the Inter Miami plays, and there were no there were no fans in the stands. Everything was tarped off with virtual tarps. You know, with advertising on them. I'd rather see what the Jays are doing in Dunedin and what these other teams are doing than have no technically no fans at all. Yeah. So No, that's it. I mean, like at the end of the day, you still want representation for, for your for your fan base and the fans want to be a part of the action no matter what. Yeah. So this is definitely something that's it's one way of doing it, and I think it's definitely something that if push came to shove, that all nine teams it would behoove them to explore this opportunity and make it happen. And I'm pretty sure you get a pretty good response out of your, your fan base in doing so. I, I bet you Regina offers this. That place is almost all virtual. I oh, bet. for sure. Oh, come on for sure. Never mind that. How about when it's November and everybody's bitching about how cold it is? Carbon cut is not going to complain about minus 30 weather. They're like, play on, go for it. I, my virtual uh, self I'll is going to show up today. 
<laughs> I'll, I'll sit at home and I'll, I'll drink my beer and I'll, I'll be happy. I'll watch the game on TV while my virtual self freezes his butt off in, in the stands. That's it. Go nuts. <laughs> Obviously, we hope that we're back in the stands by that point. But well, still, if you can't make it to a game, you're hey, you have your virtual self to back you up. There you go. So yeah, representation matters, folks. Just please, at least the Alouettes, please entertain us to entertain this idea. At least you will be making some money off of this. Some, mm-hmm. some. As long as it's a decent, you know, as I said, as long as it is a a price that's that's decent and that's uh, worth it. And I think the as I said, I think the Jays asked for sixty bucks. Mm-hmm. Which is which for that that's for however long they'd be playing Dunedin. Yeah, that's not terrible. No, really. So, um, so we will be coming back to that. And I think one of the other things we are going to be revisiting in the next couple of shows, depending on how we can work this out, is something that Cliff and I had already talked about. Um, I think we'd probably given the scoop about the uh the unofficial workout between Vernon Adams and a lot of our wide receivers. Um, if you've been watching his social media recently, especially today, there's a, a video that he put out uh, that you can, I think, catch on uh, on the social media uh, about the session that he had with, been very surprised too, hey, Cliff? Not only did we have 10 of our wide receivers show up, we had our backup quarterback show up. We had our running back show up. Yep. And I think we had some of our DBs show up. Verdon had quite a few folks out that way, and he footed the bill for for the ball. Man, I think they're saying there's something reporting on three three donation somewhere in the in the range for like twenty grand. Yeah, of his own money. Yeah, to to house and feed and entertain these guys and get them everything they needed to do this job. So again, I don't think anyone at, at this point. I'm pretty sure no one is questioning Vernon Adams' commitment to not only himself but the Alouettes and his teammates. And if you are questioning it or you, you just think this is a stunt or whatever like that, quite frankly, you can go suck a lemon because I think Vernon has proven <gasps> Such it without language. a sh- I'm sorry. I, 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 I lost my head. <laughs> but <laughs> th- all this to say that I think it's pretty clear that Vernon Adams believes in himself. He believes in his teammates and he's willing to pay the price to succeed. And if if to, as, as far as I'm concerned, I think he looks at that $20,000 that he spent as a great investment and – to me, that if if nothing else, that's got to be the reason why you got to have a season of some sort. Because if he cares that much that he's willing to invest that kind of money in making him and his team that much better, just by building those relationships and gaining that trust between his teammates and his coworkers, essentially. Hey, learning the playbook. I mean, exactly. Like like they're committed. I think this proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that Vernon. And his teammates are committed to playing football in 2021. And as I've, as I've already put on social media, Vernon is our hashtag. He's our quarterback. 100%. Um, the names that some of the photos uh, that showed up in the, in the photos here, uh, uh, Dante Absher was there, Malachi Jones, Matt Schiltz, uh, Fabian Guerra. Gino uh, Lewis. Yeah. Uh, EJ yeah, Cunningham. Yeah. Uh, Jake Weineke, Mary, Mario Alford. Uh, Naaman Roosevelt. Yep. Um, As we mentioned, William Stanback. Yeah, William uh, Stanback. I mean, there it is. I mean, that's that's the better part of your offense, folks. I mean, there's no Canadians, unfortunately, because of travel restrictions. But, I mean, these are the guys that Vernon are going to be relying on heavily yep. to help move the ball. And like, I think it shows. And I, I mentioned this before. I think it shows. Because uh, two of the guys that he invited out there 
are rookies. Rookies that never played a game in the CFL were there because they not only are they on the team, but I'm guessing that he sees promise in them. Mm-hmm. Two of them being, and I've mentioned them many times as of Cliff too, Malachi Jones and Fabian Garrett. We had Fabian on the show, uh, on the podcast, uh, I think it was uh, last season. Last season, he was supposed to make his uh, his uh, debut at, at training camp, That's right. which unfortunately never happened. But, uh, no. you know, he's he recommitted to the Alouettes, he, uh, as has Malachi Jones. And these two guys, they want to be a part of the conversation, yeah. along with veterans like Geno Lewis and Naaman Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are good, like, again, it's going to be a dogfight to get playing time for sure. Yeah. With uh, and just to be able to develop that relationship with Vernon is going to be so crucial. And it's just as training camp happens, whenever training camp happens this year, they'll be that much more ready to go. Exactly. And, and to me, like you can't, I was going to say you can't put a price on it, but I guess you really can. But <laughs> the fact is, the fact that they were willing to make that sacrifice to be able, you know, to spend that time together in order to do so to help forge those relationships. I mean, it's to me, it just shows just how prepared this team is going to be yeah. in 2021. I agree. Um, as I say, we'll, we'll get you some more and hopefully some more interviews with those guys in, uh, in future episodes. Uh, but without further ado, um, well worth the time. As I said before, if you're looking for, you know, some sort of coach ed- coaching advice, you're going to, you are going to be getting it from our next interview with our, from our next guest. Um, and when we finish with the episode, with the interview, um, with coach Ryan Bold, we'll uh, come back and we'll just quickly finish up the show. And joining us on the line right now is a man that needs no introduction, but what the heck we're going to give him one anyways. Uh, a member of the Montreal Alouettes defensive as a defensive coordinator back in 2012 and a coach with oodles of experience over the years, not just in the Canadian Football League, but pretty much in all facets of football. Joining us on the line right now is a Hamilton Tiger Cats special teams coordinator, Jeff Reinbold. Welcome to the Alouettes Flight Deck, Coach. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. It's good to talk to you guys, and, and uh, always good to talk ball with folks back in La Belle Province. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, Coach, uh, first and foremost, uh, we know you're in Hawaii. Uh, we, I mean, there's anyone anyone who follows you on Twitter knows very much that you are a Hawaii guy through and through. Uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, how you've been spending time uh, uh, with no CFL going on. How, how have you been spending time in Hawaii, uh, just keeping in touch uh, as far as football goes? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because the the CFL obviously is is my number one job, and that's you know what pays the bills, and so. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that I work for an owner in Bob Young who's been extremely patient and, and you know, has worked very, very hard to keep uh, our staff together through, you know, what what has been a very, very difficult time. I work for Orlando Steinauer, who does an outstanding job of, of, you know, managing people. He's a great football coach, an excellent football coach. But, you know, the great coaches, the really, really great coaches that have been around, and I would include Orlando in that one, are guys who are great with people. And so we have been having, you know, get together Zoom meetings and talking football and evaluating prospects and all those things so that whenever, you know, we get to all clear to go, that we will be ready to go. And, uh, you know, I think that 
you know, when you know Orlando at all, you know that he's a big proponent on being positive. He's a big proponent on taking care of what you can take care of, control what you can control, let all the other stuff slide, and, you know, uh, enjoy every day. And, and that's how we've, as a staff, chosen to look at this thing. Okay. Now, with uh, Orlando being nominated to the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, uh, have you had a chance to talk to him about uh, you know his phenomenal pl- career as a player, but now also working with him as a coach? Uh, what are your thoughts on his nomination uh, as being joining a very exclusive club in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame? I think when I, I think when the record's all said and done, and you know he walks away from football that he will be a not only a Hall of Fame player, he will have been a Hall of Fame coach because, you know, obviously you're talking about a guy that comes into a program that was, you know, you know, Hamilton was good, they were, but they were, I don't know, 10 and 8 or whatever it was the year before, and he takes us to 15 and 3 and, you know, most winningest season in the history of the program in his first year together. Uh, just a really, really, really outstanding football coach. And, you compare you compare to what he was as a player and what he is as a coach, and I think you see the same things. When you saw him as a player, when you knew him as a player, he always played with tremendous passion. He was very, very, in, you know, instinctive, and he had great football IQ. He understood the game. He understood competition. He was a great teammate. You know, so all of those qualities that made him a Hall of Fame player are qualities that he brings to work every day as a head coach and his he's done an outstanding job you know this is an overused cliched you know tattered word now but culture he really has you know i won't say changed but he's enhanced the culture the winning culture that was already in hamilton he took it to the next level and you know when you know orlando very well one of the things you find out about him is good enough isn't good enough i mean what was good enough last year isn't good enough this year and we're constantly constantly you know in that you know hunt for a better way to do things a better way to communicate with our players a better way to create relationships genuine relationships in the organization all the things that you know make you bulletproof or as bulletproof as you can be as a football organization he does an outstanding job with all right. And has he leaned on you at all as far as experience? Like, seeing as you've had experience as head coach in the Canadian Football League, has he leaned on you for any of that? Or has he come to you just for just bouncing ideas off you and things like that? Well, he and I have a unique relationship because in his first year, when he came to, we all got together in 2013. And I had come from Montreal. He had been in Toronto. I, You know, I knew him as a player uh, from competing against him. And I you know, always said hello to him, but I didn't really know him. And you really don't know anybody in football until you've been through a season together with them, because that's when you find out under the pressure, under the criticism, under, you know, all of the things that you go through, you really find out what a guy's made of. And I remember there was a time in that first season where he was trying to get the defense, you know, he, he was trying to take the defense to a place where they'd not been before. And I know it was frustrating for him, and I, I saw his frustration. I remember one day calling him outside the office. I just said, hey, come on here, man. Let's, let's have a talk. And we just talked, and we talked about, you know, football, but we talked about some other things, too. And I just told him, and, you know, he said, I said, man, I've been doing this a long time. I'm telling you, you're doing the right thing. Stay with what you're doing. Believe in what you're doing. Don't waver and stay with it, and you're going to see the results. And it worked out. And, and that started what has become a very – what I – 
consider anyway a very close friendship. Mm. All right, Tim. Now, you, you're just saying about your history itself in football, coach. I mean, you have basically mm-hmm. run the gambit since you know since the early 1980s on what you have done. <laughs> you know, whether it's been NCAA, whether it's been the the uh, NFL Europe, whether it's been uh, the CFL. Um, out of first and foremost, we want to know. I'm sure our fans want to know too. Is how specifically did you get into football? I mean. We're talking about, I said, 1981, originally the, the quarterbacks coach and the wide receiver coach for Western Montana College. What yeah, attracted— but then, when's, when's the last time you ever heard of that school? I think that's <laughs> the first time. I've been to some places now, brother. I, I, um, <laughs> let me just say this. That I, I will give you my nickel and dime psychologist viewpoint, right? <laughs> okay. My dad was in professional baseball. Okay. Um, he was— the winningest high school baseball coach in the state of Indiana and very late in his career got an opportunity to get into pro foot, pro baseball. Just, uh, it's a kind of a uh, crazy story, but he got in and he stayed in until, until he passed away three years ago. Um, and I, you know, as a kid, you know, you want to respect your father. You want to, you want to, you know, do something that would make your father proud, but you also want to do your own thing. And, so my guess is now, looking back on it, that it was a way of honoring my dad, but still doing it, you know, in my own sport. Because as a as a high school player, uh, anytime I would do anything of note playing football, I was always Jim's kid, right. right? And so my guess is that somehow this created an opportunity for me to hit kind of work in the same business my, that my dad was in, but not in the same office, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it, you know, my dad was absolutely, uh, and I've seen a lot of, a lot of coaches, fellas, a lot of them, but my father to this day, I will tell you was the best teaching coach I ever saw. Was it something in particular that he said to you that stuck with you all those years? He, he had or? the ability and you, and you gotta, you gotta, excuse me, cause I was emotional about that, okay. but he had the unique ability to communicate and to break a skill down and take a young player and encourage him and push him and do all the things that you need to do to really unlock the potential of, uh, for a player. And so his job in, in professional baseball for most of his baseball career was he worked as a minor league instructor, one of the roving guys that went around and, mm-hmm. and, you know, for example, when he worked for the Cubs, they had drafted Sean Dunstan in the first round. And he, Sean was a New York city kid that, you know, was a great athlete, but didn't have any idea how to play. And so they sent my dad to spend that season in, you know, the instructional league in Florida with Sean. And he would go out there every day and he hit him a hundred fungos and which for uninitiated baseball people, that's a, that's a ground ball. He yeah. didn't, he's hit that kid ground balls till his had blisters on his hands and just basically taught the kid how to field and how to become a pro. And he took an athlete and, you know, Sean ends up going to the big leagues and plays a number of years and, and, uh, always remembered my father for that. And, you know, Sean's just one of many young guys, whether they made it to the big leagues or not, that, that really benefited from his patience, his attention to detail, his encouragement, all those things. Would you say that everything that you've done in your career coach is what you've based off on what your father did and, and what he taught you? 
Well, I think it's, I think probably to a certain degree, you know, there's some similarities, you know, he was different than his personality was different than mine in, mm-hmm. in some ways. I think there were guys that came along in my football that impacted my life a great deal. Jack Picknell, who was my college football coach at the university of Maine had a huge impact in my life. Uh, Jerry DiNardo, who was the coach that recruited me, who went on to be the head coach at Vanderbilt and LSU and Indiana and, mm-hmm. You know, he was a huge impact on my life because he took a, you know, a 17-year-old kid from South Bend, Indiana that, you know, didn't even know where the University of Maine was on a map and, you know, took me there and guided me through the tough transition of going from high school to college football. And, you know, I I played as a freshman and I thought it was going to all be easy. And then all of a sudden you get hurt and then you get another you hurt again and you get hurt again. And then finally at the end of your career, you're fighting just to stay alive. And, but all of that was, those were all formative things that really helped me in this business. And then, you know, um, Jack called me in one day when I was in college, he said, what are you going to do when this is over? And I was like typical knucklehead kid. I like over, what do you mean, Jack? And he said, you know, this is done. You got six more games to play and then you're not going to play anymore. And that's when it really hit me. And yeah. he said to me, I think he should coach. And that's how I got started. Wow. And and it's been since then. I mean, you, as I said before, you have had uh, quite a career and you've made quite a mark for yourself, especially in the CFL, too, because, I mean, that's really where your longest tenure has been. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny, man. It's it's when you when we talk about that, um, when I was at Maine, you could get CFL games on on the TV, mm-hmm. right? And I can remember, you know, watching Tommy Clements play, who I'd watched play at Notre Dame, and watching uh, Rudy DiPietro and, you know, these guys and, and thinking, man, that is such a great game. Like, I was fascinated with, with the Canadian game and never really, as a young coach, ever aspired to coach in the NFL. Where I really wanted to coach was the CFL because I thought the game was so much more interesting, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, my first full-time coaching job was at the university of Montana. And that guy ended up being an assistant in the CFL. And then he brought me as a guest coach to BC in the eighties. And that's when I was able to make the transition. And people ask me all the time, so why didn't you coach in the NFL? And I, to be honest with you, I never tried to, I just, I, I thought our game was, our game was where I wanted to be. I mean, it was just such an I can't even how good that that league and that game that has been to me. And so for me, the thing is big time is where you're at, right? Mm -hmm. So big time is where you're at. I mean, you know, you guys are doing your thing, right? And you're not at, you know, NBC sports or whatever, but it doesn't make it any less valuable. It doesn't make it any, any less important to you. It doesn't make it any less anything. Right. So Mm -hmm. when people would take shots at the CFL or why are you coaching in that beer league or where, you know, all the stuff you hear, I I get defensive because I really, really love that. I love our league and I love the game. And, and, uh, you know, I, I've had some amazing, amazing times and, and met some incredible people through the game. And you know what, Cliff, when you hear any coach say just that and get so pissed off when somebody says something bad about the CFL, you can tell that 
He is a true Canadian coach and loves this game no matter what, man. It's just, it's, it's so refreshing to hear. It really is because you know, usually you will only see one side of a coach. You never see what they may be like off field, so to speak. But, um, <laughs> and not to mention, too, how many American coaches have come up here to the Canadian Football League essentially stealing paychecks? Let's, let's call it what it is. They're, they're stealing paychecks. Like they <laughs> come up with the idea that football is football. And okay, to a, to a lesser degree, it is. But at the same time, there's enough nuances and enough interesting things about the CFL that just makes it fun to watch. And for a coach like you to be so into it that you you just don't even think about the NFL. You just you'd rather focus on the Canadian game and trying to help grow that. I mean, that's such a refreshing, honest attitude. And I, I got to tell you, Coach, like that's something we definitely appreciate. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Well, fellas, I'm gonna tell you something. When I came in, when I broke into the league, you know, I mean, you got to understand now. I went to BC, and uh, Donnie had just gotten fired at BC, and Larry Donovan came in, and they went to. That was a, that was the first. He was my head coach at Montana. He brought me in as a guest coach. Greg Newhouse, who you guys may or may not remember, was a great coach in the CFL for years and years and years, and you know won great cups in BC and Edmonton. And and uh, and Adam Rita was on the staff, mm-hmm. and you know Ron Smeltzer was on the staff, and Steve Barada was on the staff. And I'm going out to coach linebackers the first day as a guest coach. And shit, I got Kevin Konar and Jake Jackson and. They're older than me. <laughs> I'm going out to coach these guys that I, you know, that I watched, right? Like I'm, I'm a fan of these guys, and I'm going. And Steve Brado kind of sidled up to me as we were walking out to the practice field today, and he goes, uh, "You doing okay?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm good." You know, and he knew I was full of shit, and he said, "Are you nervous?" And I, and I said, "Yeah, I'm nervous." I, he said, "Don't be nervous." I said, "Well, Steve, you know, I'm, these guys are older than me, and I never played." pro football and these guys are all cfl guys and you know ty cruz and all these guys and he said which was really really great advice he said listen let me tell you this about pro football players as long as they feel you can help them as long as they feel you can help them get that next paycheck that next contract um they'll listen to you they don't care what your color is they don't care how tall you are where you played college football if you played in the pros didn't play in the pros but he said, let me just tell you, the first thing you can do to, to lose them is, is, he said, to try and bullshit them. Don't try and bullshit your way through anything. They're going to ask you, and you may not have the answer. Tell them you'll get the answer, but you don't know. Don't try and bullshit your way through it. And that was really, really tremendous, tremendous advice. And the same advice that I try and pass on to young guys now when they ask me that same thing. Is you got to be genuine. you got to be who you are because – Players, particularly players today, are so sophisticated and they understand so much. And you may get away with it for a little while, but they're going to find you out. It all comes out in the wash eventually. <laughs> yes, sir, it does. And you know, and uh, you know, it, it, it's it's just a. And what you find out really is that you know, even though they're a lot of them great, great, great athletes, um, they're guys just with the same challenges everybody has you know some days it's tough with the wife you know got to pay got to pay the rent they got you know this that they got all kinds of other things going on in their life too in addition to you know being there we we as the media and i consider myself in the media kind of part-time i said we as the media tend to create these bulletproof heroes and then we're all disappointed when they don't live up to what our expectations are but you know, I mean, they're they're human beings just like everybody else. It's just they've been gifted in a different way. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. I know. I know. Before Cliff's going to ask you about your time with the Owls and how you ended up coming to the Owls. Mm-hmm. Um, I, one thing I just wanted to ask you: out of all the teams that you've coached with over your, I guess, we'll, I guess we'll stay in the pros that you've coached. Mm-hmm. What team has frustrated you the most? And you don't necessarily have to go into too many details because I know you don't want to burn any, possibly burn any bridges. But mm-hmm. what 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 really frustrated you the most for Whoa. one particular team? But because. I, I look but, at your career, I can look at Vegas, and I can think, well, there's nothing like practicing in a parking lot, as an example. So, but um, what, what, which team do you think no, is frustrated you the most? No, I, I tell you what, I, I, each, each of them's been, individually, has been interesting. Yeah. You know, and there have been, st- there's so many stories that, that I, I, we could be here for a week, and I could be, you know, not finished. But, um, you know, obviously going through some of the things that we went through were really difficult, especially when I was younger and I didn't really understand. Right. Um, you know, to see people from the league come into our team meeting room in, in, uh, BC and they say, okay, everybody's taking a mandatory pay cut. You know, here's the paper, sign it. And then, you know, having the, having the team go under on us in Vegas, um, living through the, you know, that really, really, really difficult time that we had in the, you know, in the late nineties, uh, when I got the opportunity to be head coach in Winnipeg. And, uh, I, you know, the, I, I think the opportunity to be the head coach in Winnipeg was probably one of the better experiences I had. It was one of the more difficult ones at the time, but it was certainly the best thing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes you have to have a little historical perspective to be able to really see things for what they are. Right. Um, I think, the team that maybe frustrated me the most was the 2017 Hamilton team that we had because we had just come off of, uh, we had been in the gray cup, 13 and 14, 15 and 16. We were still, uh, you know, a good, good football team should have gone back to another great cup, uh, got beaten Ottawa when we dropped an interception, uh, in, I think it was 15, 16, we started to drop and then 17, it's almost like everything that could go wrong went wrong. Orlando left, Tommy left. Uh, you know, we, we lost bro to the NFL. Mm -hmm. We lost Harris to the NFL. I mean, we just, and then we got decimated with injuries and you know, we just couldn't, we weren't very good. And that was really, really, really a tough, tough year. Um, so in that would probably, I'd say that one was probably the most frustrating I enjoyed the Montreal experience, I, even though I was only there one year, because it was very eye-opening to me what what I experienced there. Well, let, let's dive into that Montreal experience. But one thing I have to note is, uh, since you were with the Las Vegas Posse, you got to work with a very young Anthony Calvillo back then. And now, <laughs> going into 2012, who's your quarterback with the Montreal Alouettes? Anthony Calvillo. I mean, isn't I'm it funny say- how life works like that? <laughs> well, that's one of the great things about working in a nine-team league, you know, it's a very small, it's a very small group you got, and you're going to run into that again. That's the reasons why the CFL because the knuckleheads they don't they don't hang around long, you know. Uh, Ace was really, really a great kid. He was so skinny. I mean, so skinny when he came out of Utah State, and he played for us in that first year, and we weren't very good and he got just blasted. I mean, he was like, I don't know if you guys know the history of the Alamo when, when uh, there's a great movie called the Alamo and the Texas 
rangers or whatever they are, are, are trying to defend the animal. And you look out and there's like 5,000 Mexicans coming over the wall. That's what it was like for Anthony. Every time he dropped back to pass and his skinny butt would be, he'd have to pick himself up off the AstroTurf all game long. And I really gained a tremendous amount of respect for him that year because he was so tough and so resilient and kept coming back. And, um, you know, and it probably in some ways was good for him, but in other ways hurt him because he needed to go to Hamilton and be a backup to really start to learn the game and, and to, you know, get bigger and get stronger. And, and, you know, it takes time for quarterbacks sometimes. And then by the time I was back with him in 2012, uh, I wouldn't say he was at the top of his game because I think he had started to slip. You know, again, you're that you get to that age and at playing that position is tough. But he took impeccable care of himself. He was a great leader on our football team. He was, you know, a guy that had a way to find, you know, he could make plays. Like I still remember the last throw of that year when we get a turnover late in the game. We're trailing Toronto. We get it, I think, by five. We get a turnover late in the game or and get the ball back to the offense on the other side, on Toronto's half of the field, and he gets pressured, and he's rolling out to his left on third down, I think it is, and he kind of throws a sidearm throw down in the corner of the end zone, and I think it was Brian Bratton. The DB just kind of gets his hand in the way of the ball, not didn't hit the ball, but he kind of waved at the ball and the ball hit Bratton in the, in the face mask and dropped off or we'd have been in the great cup. And I think we would have won the great cup that year. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's, that was the end of that year, but AC was so, so big a part of our football team, such an incredible guy in a locker room loved by his teammates, you know, uh, really, really, really one of the guys, I'll tell you what, I've been fortunate enough to coach on teams with five Heisman, trophy winning quarterbacks five of them and i'm gonna tell you what not a single one of them meant as much to our football team with the possible exception of doug flutie than anthony calvillo did wow, wow. high praise high praise yeah. <laughs> indeed uh what led to you becoming a defensive coordinator after years of being like do, do, dealing primarily with special teams and uh, receivers and all that what led jim pop to hire you for defensive coordinator well i think in the i think it's a if the truth was probably that Mark hired me more than Jim did. Um, and I was at the senior bowl and I, I, I had played defense as a college player. I had a defensive background. Most of my, I mean, I like my coaching is kind of split between offense, defense and special teams. And I was at the senior bowl and Scott Milanovich is a friend of mine. And Scott had known me as a defensive coach in NFL Europe. And, um, he had just left the Owls and he saw me at the senior bowl and he said, Hey, would you be interested in talking to Mark about the defense coordinator job? And I, I wanted to get back into pro football and I said, yeah, I'd love to have an opportunity to talk to him. So I interviewed with Mark at the convention or at the senior bowl rather, and then talked to him again. And then, uh, he pulled the trigger and hired me and, I, it was a wonderful experience. I mean, a tremendous experience. We we went in there, and the thing that people don't realize, I, if it was either 10 or 12 defensive categories we improved from the year before. And we're in training camp, and our best football player, and I think this is a guy that never has gotten the kind of accolades that he deserves, 
but our best football player and Chip Cox was a great one. And, and, you know, we had a lot of great players, but John Bowman is, I mean, he is a professional Mm -hmm. and he is a, he was our best football player. We're in a goal line drill in training camp and Bowman goes down and we lose him for like six weeks. And, you know, we still improved in 10 of like, I don't know, 10 or 12 defensive categories over what they had done the previous year. And so I, I enjoy it. Kyrie Saber was a revelation. You know, he had Jim brought him in. Um, he was on the street. He is out. He was out of football and he ends up playing free safety for us and still he made one of the biggest hits I have ever seen. Now, I've coached for almost 40 years, fellas. So I've seen a lot of collisions and he hit, uh, it was against Hamilton in Molson stadium and he, JB got an interception. He peeled back, and I mean, he knocked. I can't remember the receiver's name from Hamilton. It was the biggest hit I have ever seen on a football field. And if, if you go back to 2012 season, the biggest hits of the year, that one's on there. And I mean, it was a humongous hit. And you know, uh, yeah. Chip Cox was an outstanding player. Joe Bryant was an. I mean, it, we had really, really a bunch of really good football players and good guys. It was a great experience. I. You know, um, so many of those guys I still am in contact with. You know, Rod Davis, who's a high school coach now in in the state of Mississippi. Um, you know, Billy Parker. I mean, gosh, I mean, there's just so many of them. I can't. I, I couldn't name them all for you. They were all really. We were a very, very tight group. Luke Molander, I still see every time I go to Saskatchewan. Um, you know, it's just a really, really unique group of guys. Uh. That's excellent. Uh, now, with that being said, like just considering everything that was done, even though, uh, like I said, the the goal fell short just a little bit by not making it to the Grey Cup, and then uh-huh. all of a sudden Montreal, for whatever reason, decides to go into another direction, and you end up in Hamilton as special teams coordinator. I'm curious though, mm-hmm. uh, did they even did the Alouettes even have any discussion about? special teams with you because I don't know if you've noticed or not. I'm sure you have seen them and played them multiple times. Special teams has always been a, uh, a disaster. Let's call it what it is. It, it was for those years. It was pretty much a disaster. So knowing how well you got special teams down, like how do they not offer you the opportunity to stay with the team in a special teams capacity? Well, it was a really, it was a really strange time. You got to remember that, um, Mark had already started his courtship with the bears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it was really, a it was really a, a tumultuous time, you know, like, um, uh, you know, Mike Sinclair was going to go with Mark. Um, but you know, JB, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was just really a really tumultuous time. And I think I, I don't, I, you know, I got, I, that would be an interesting question to ask because I think Mark was on his way out anyway. And I think that Jim, you'd have to ask Jim that question. I, I, I don't, I don't really know. Okay. Fair enough. I, like I said, it just, to me, it just seemed like, okay, well, especially too, like the one thing I come back to is the Eastern final in 2014. Like mm-hmm. you had Brandon Banks just, running rough shot all over the Alouettes. I mean, like they're, they're chasing their tails for the, be- every time like there was a, a kickoff. Well, I, I, would, punt, I would be honest with you. And it, I mean, I'm not going to, one of the things you know about me guys, is that I don't, I'm not going to ever tell you a half truth or what you want to hear. I mean, I tell the same thing to players. I say, you, you, 
you want the truth, I'm going to give you the truth. Now, you can be like Jack Nicholson in that movie, in that movie, A Few Good Men. You can't handle the truth or you can. Here, here's the reality. I, I wanted to get after Montreal's ass bad, particularly in that game. And so, <laughs> I mean, it, it's not and it wasn't about payback. It was just about I, I knew that that was the way we had to win the football game because they were going to play great defense because they had great defensive personnel and Noel did a great job offensively they you know they they were without a quarterback and you know was going to they were going to try and run the ball make a few plays on us and that the game could turn in the kicking game and we sold our players on that all week long but you know Brandon Brandon has been doing that since before I got Brandon and you know but the thing I'll take a lot of pride in is the fact that there have been 12 guys right 12 guys score touchdowns on special teams in the time I've been at Hamilton and eight of them have been returners. So it's not, I mean, Brandon is, is, is a unique guy, but you know, last year we had Frankie Williams and that's the great thing about football is nobody gets, I mean, this isn't like you're in Hollywood and you know, you're the director and your name's on the back of the chair or you're the, you're the lead. And it's like, you know, rock Hudson, you know, that's your chair not in football. You ain't got your name on no chair and somebody's going to be sitting in your chair next year. It's a, it's a production oriented business and it's about change. And, and, uh, you know, so you better, you better live for every moment because none of us has promised another one. Now with, with that said, like that 2014 season, you go to the gray cup, come up short against the Hamilton or the, against Calgary Stampeders last year, go up against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, they end their 30-year drought, or almost 30-year drought, of not winning the Grey Cup. When you look back at those games in particular, is it easy to say, oh, I should have done this, I should have done that, or is it just one of those things where you just have to almost forget about that and just concentrate on what's ahead? Well, I think I think one of the things that you learn in coaching and uh, if you don't learn it, you don't stay in coaching very long. Is you can't good or bad, you cannot carry Babs with you. I mean, you got to take, you got to. And this is what I told Mark. Mark told me that that uh, they were going to hire Noel. I just said, "Hey, Mark, I appreciate the opportunity. I had a great experience. It was great to be in Montreal. I'm going to take away all the good things and leave all the rest of it. And that's the way I've chosen to live every season. And so, in 2014. You know, uh, you look at the film and you tell me, right, was that a clip or not, right? And, you know, I'll go to my grave believing that it isn't. And, you know, you can call it the other way if you choose to. And it got called that way. And that cost us a championship. Now, the reality of it is, and and this is what I've said to our players, it was a penalty because the official called it. And, you know, we've got to live with it now you better learn from it and you better go on. And so what have we learned from it? We learned to become one of the least penalized special teams units in the league. And, you know, that's the only way you can, you know, that's the only way you can look at it. I mean, you think about Marv Levy just got invited, got invited into the hall of fame in the Canadian football league hall of fame for what he did in Montreal. He went four straight years in Buffalo to the Super Bowl and didn't, didn't close the deal. Now, you know, I, I guarantee you that I'm sure he has regrets about that. The fact that that group of players never got to hold a championship up, but it doesn't haunt him on a daily basis. Cause Marv's, you know, 
Marv realizes there's a way bigger picture than that. And it's about what you're doing today. Because if you ever hear that, that quote, which is one of the great quotes of all time, is what you're doing, if what you, if what you did yesterday matters so much, then you ain't doing much today. Right. And, and that's really, I, I try, personally, I mean, again, this is my personal choice. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Like you come into my house, there is not a single football thing in there, not a one, because it's my job. It's what I do. It's not who I am. And I don't want to be a guy that posts pictures of when he played 10 years ago or coached 10 years ago, whatever, right. That's in the past. And it's what's matters is today doing this podcast right now, youth, you know, us three together, you know, putting this on tape. That's what matters. Everything else is not, not on my radar right now. That's amazing. (laughs) I love that coach. Well, well, I think it's the way you have, I mean, just, I mean, first of all, let me tell you something. You, I went through this tremendous, I got a really, really great experience. One time I was in a doctor's office and the doctor walked in my, walked into the office and he said, you have cancer, right? That was a great experience because what it taught me was that even though I thought I was one of those, you know, live life to the fullest kind of guys, right? when you get faced with that one, then you really start realizing how important every day is and every interaction and every, every time you meet somebody or every, you know, those things are so, so precious. And like this interview, we'll never do it again. So it's the one interview we get. And I want it to be, I want it to be great. I want it to be great for you guys. I want it to be great for me. I want it to be great for everybody that listens. I mean, that's the way you should, to me, that's the way you should live life. Every, every time you meet somebody should be a, uh, positive in their, in their experience. It doesn't mean you have to be one of those Pollyanna guys. It just means, you know, if you're really living, if you're really living, then it will be. Wow. Wow. From, <laughs> from your lips to God's ears. Coach. My goodness. <laughs> it, it's, wow. it's funny, coach. I, I've spoken to many, I've done many interviews with CFL guys, with arena league guys and stuff like that. I find that the players mm-hmm. are a hell of a lot different than what you are. They will go back and reminisce, but yet as a coach who's able to see what and see what the players have done based on what how a coach has taught them and what he's told them. You're you're you've you've seemed to be totally opposite than what the players tend to be. And and it's, ref- well, and, it's I think, and it's refreshing to hear. Well, let me let me just say this. The the two people that Again, other than my father, two people that affected my coaching career the most were Greg Newhouse, who was completely that way. I mean, I mean, Greg is like way that way more than even me and Dick Vermeil. And, you know, Dick Vermeil um, grew up uh, son of a shade tree mechanic in Northern California and, you know, was played quarterback at San Jose State and then got in coaching and was the first special teams coach in the NFL and took a Philadelphia Eagle team that hadn't been in the playoffs in 19 years, his third year there, he goes to the Super Bowl, loses, can't deal with it, has a nervous breakdown, goes back with, you know, takes a Rams team to the Super Bowl and wins it. Um, and I learned from him so many, many things that were, that transcended X's and O's. And one of the things that Orlando has done extremely well with, with us and I see so much of coach for in him is that it's about relationships. 
the game is about relationships. It's about, you know, when it's all said and done and you get back together and you reminisce and you talk about 2014 team or the 19... 80 team or whatever it is, it's really after a while, you're going to start to for the, the things that will become fuzzy are going to be the score and whether you caught the ball, you know, it's, but the thing you'll never forget is the feelings, the, the interpersonal relationships, the, you know, the, the watching John Bowman drag his leg out there when he probably shouldn't have been playing and, give everything, every ounce of what he had. Same thing, Kyrie, you know, we're, we're going into the Eastern final. He doesn't practice for nine straight days because of his ankle. We weren't going to play him until about 12 hours before the game, right? Because he couldn't play. And to watch him go out and he, who, who knocks the ball out at the end of the game to give us a chance to go back and go to the Great Cup? Kyrie Saber. Yeah. Because he was just, he was that guy. He was going to, find a way to help his teammates and those kind of things. You know, when you watch Marco Bruyette make the transition from safety to linebacker and play like he played, I'll never, those guys will live. I mean, they're immortal to me, you know, in my mind, because when you see a guy give that much, when you see a guy like Chip Cox play as hard as Chip Cox played, you know, and all of those guys, I mean, and it's every team of every year. So in the end, and I won't say W's and L's don't matter because that's the business that we're in, but what really matters, what really is important are the relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's true. I mean, they say football is family and that's really what it comes down to. Canadian football yep. family, man. Yep. 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 It is. And, and see here, here's the thing that, that is that nobody seems to, talk about but I, I really I really 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 think it's true is I've been around the NFL enough to know and I've been around football enough to know there are very few leagues where you have the interaction and the closeness between the players and the coaches and the teams and the fans you know that in our league is to me incredibly unique and um I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, I've always found my way. I'm like a freaking salmon. You know, they can put me out to the ocean and I'm always going to find my way back. <laughs> you know, it's just, I, it's just because of those, because of those human interactions. I mean, you know, like the, I could, I mean, I can't even describe to you how disappointed I was to see Dwayne Andrews yet get let go in, in Edmonton, yeah. right? And I don't know their business. I don't know the financials of it. I don't know anything. But I know what Dwayne Mandrusiak meant to every player that was in that locker room, every one of them. I'm not talking about some of them, every one of them. I know what he, what Joey Moss was what meant to those people, right? And those kinds of interactions, those kinds of, you know, Ronnie James and, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, Drew, you know, Drew at our place. They're, those guys are, they're, they are the game. They are the game. You know, they're the CFL. And there's so many stories like that. Oh. Well said. Well said. Well, let's uh, let's transition a little bit here. Uh, All right. You work for 
Sky Sports out in uh, the United Kingdom as an NFL analyst. How did that come about? How how does a Canadian football (laughs) head coach living in Hawaii end up as an analyst out in uh, in Europe? All right. You know what, guys? Mao Zedong had a five-year plan in China, right? I haven't planned five minutes ahead in my life. So I, if you if you're looking for some grand some grand plan, it ain't me, baby. I'm just not gonna. It just didn't work that way. You know how it happened? When I got fired in Winnipeg in '98, um, TSN or Sportsnet, I can't remember which, asked me to do some NFL news and notes, and we broadcast the Super Bowl. Uh, and I'll always be indebted to those guys because they, you know, they gave me an opportunity to cut my teeth at it. I'm working for the NFL and I'm living in London and uh, the head of the NFL office in, in London, that's where Fox, of which Sky is a, is a, was a Fox affiliate, um, that's where Troy Aikman, Balding, Brian Baldinger, Moose Johnson, all those guys, the, the big Fox guys you hear today, the analysts, that's where they cut their teeth. So they would use Sky as a way of kind of it's like a minor league for announcers or for analysts. Darren Woodson was supposed to come to a game. Something happened. He couldn't get there. It was like Friday. They couldn't get paperwork done to get somebody else in. So Alistair Kirkwood came down to my office and said, Hey, you did a little TV in it in Canada. Didn't you? I said, yeah. And he said, would you mind sitting in? Darren can't come to the game this week. So I sat in and I, now this part, I did not know until about six years later. And I just did the game. I, I mean, I prepared, but because I didn't want to come off as a dummy. But I, I said this is. It wasn't like it was an audition. Like I thought it was like one time I'll have fun with it, and then that that'll be it. Just so happened there was a, and this is what people got to learn is you never know. We say this to players all the time. You never know when you're going to get that next opportunity, or when somebody's going to be in a position to give you an opportunity, and you better be ready for it. So anyway, we have. A Fox executive was in town. One of Rupert Murdoch's guys was in town and they had a production meeting, a post-production meeting on Monday after the, after the game. And he comes in and he's got the producer and all the people that put the show on there and they start breaking down the show. And he goes, all right, I want to know who that blind guy was that was on the show. (laughs) <laughs> and my producer, who and like this part I didn't know until later, my producer went, "Hey, whoa, whoa! I, I mean, he's just a fill-in. Like, we're, he, we're, you'll never see him again. I promise. He's he's out of here. He's gone. He's done." And the guy looked at him and goes, "No, I kind of like him. Bring him back." And that's how it happened. Wow. I mean, it's just not, <laughs> that's incredible. It was just like that. <laughs> it was just like that. But you know, it goes back to that same thing that we we say to the players all the time: what you put on tape. What you, you know, you autograph your performance every time you go out to do what you do, right? And you never know when you're, somebody's going to watch you or hear you or see you, and they're going to be in a position where they can change your life. And what do you want them to see? What do you want them to, you know, what do you want them to experience? And this is a case in point. Nick Ferguson, who played 12 years in the NFL, was with me. I traded to get him in, in, from Saskatchewan in Winnipeg. I cut him in Winnipeg. I brought him back, took him to NFL Europe. He got cut by the Bears, took, brought him back. He got cut by the Bills. He was on the Bills practice squad, and the Jets needed a player, and Bill Parcells said, 
hey, remember the kid 25 from the Bills during preseason because they always play each other in preseason? He goes, what's that guy doing? They needed somebody to cover kicks. They brought him in, signed him. He played 12 more years in the NFL. Had he not played, and it was a game he was going to get cut. Had he not played that game like it was the Super Bowl, which he did every practice, he, you know, you got to make somebody see you. And you do that not by, you know, bringing attention to yourself. You do that by the performance that you give, the, the job that you do, the way you live your life. True enough. It kind of reminds it's like, me, it's, it kind of reminds me about what the, what the guys do currently on the rosters. You know, you may be a start, starting wide receiver for a team, but you're out there playing special teams, and they all go out whether they are, you know, trying to catch a, a ten yard out, or they're trying to go kill somebody on the on on special teams. They always go out, and I think yep. that's that's one of the things that that really interests me about the CFL. I love how the guys play. Yeah, you know what, and it's and it's because we're on because we have smaller rosters, and you know there's less specialization. You remember when? Uh, I'm trying to think who the guy was that the Ottawa brought in from the Washington Redskins. Um, oh gosh, he was a big time Pro Bowler. Oh, he's yes, in the Hall the, of Fame. Dexter Manley. Yes, Dexter. Okay, you remember when Dexter played his first game in Ottawa? I remember watching the tape of it. He plays two plays, right? And all of a sudden, he looks to the sideline and he's tapping his helmet, which is the universal signal that I'm tired. Get me out of here! <laughs> oh no! The coaches from Ottawa all were standing there, you know, giving him the stop sign, like palm put, with their palms at him, because Dex, this is the CFL, buddy. There ain't nobody else. You got to go. You got to play. <laughs> and you know that's one of the reasons why I love these players in our league so much is they all go. I mean, do you, you want the definition of courage? The courage is the guy that goes even though he knows it's going to be painful. All right. And these guys go, they go every game and Frankie Williams. I'm telling you, one of the most courageous players I've ever been around because he plays 65 plays a field corner. And then he returns punts and he returns kickoffs. They ain't a guy in the NFL that would do that. Yeah. No way, no way. And so, you know, any, so how can you not fall in love with that guy? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to is the the passion and just being ready when your opportunity comes and you never know when it will come. It's it's something that even uh, Vernon Adams has talked to us about is I don't get ready. I stay ready. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's. Yeah. And that's how it is. And, and you better. And you better. And I mean, he, he's a he's a case in point. And there's so many of them around the league. But I mean, Vernon, how many times Vernon been cut or told he's not good enough or told he's not this or not that or whatever. But too you, many you better have. You better have an unshakable, an unshakable belief in yourself. Not arrogant, but I'm talking about an unshake because arrogance is easy to put on, right? There's tons of guys like that in the world, but the guys who truly believe in their ability, truly believe that they can do it, truly believe that they can handle whatever adversity comes along, and and it got it. Sounds like I'm coaching cliche one on one, but that's just here's the bottom line: it's not bullshit. It's all true. It's I'm 40 years of being in football will tell me that, right? Mm -hmm. It's all true. Exactly. Uh, all right. Let's get your thoughts on this, Jeff. Uh, now that the CFL, well, said the CFL right now, we're we're still kind of waiting to find out what's going on as far as what you know, what kind of a season we're going to be having, if at all, or if it's going to be shortened or what have you. In your opinion, mm -hmm. what do you think is going to be happening? Don't know. 
I, I can't, I can't, you know, again, see, here's the thing. Here's the trap that I think we can let ourselves fall into. And certainly, you know, I'm just as, as susceptible to it as anybody else. When you're in an environment where it's so fluid and there's so many things that are out of anybody's control, I'm talking about anybody's control, then the worst thing, in my opinion, that you can do is begin to play the speculation game and start to think, well, you know, we're going to do this or we're not going to do this or this isn't going to happen or that's not going to, why can't I hear anything? All that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Because it's all outside of our control. I am sure. One thing I'm sure of that the government is not going to let us play until it's safe to play. That's their job. They're going to do their job, right? Mm -hmm. I give all of the owners and all of the, you know, the commissioner and everybody in our league marks for fighting this fight because the easy thing would be to just roll over and die, right? We can't control the virus. Can't. Don't have any control over it, right? So to say what we're going to do, I don't know. I can't. That's that's as much as I can give you. And is it frustrating? Sure, at times it's extremely frustrating. I'm no different than anybody else. We all deal with that frustration. But I have confidence in the people who are trying to get us on the field that if we can get this thing under control, that we'll be on the field and we'll play football. And until that time, you know, I'm not wasting one minute worrying about would have should have played yesterday, but I mean, I, I'm not doing it. Okay. Are you still staying in touch with the players and the other coaches as far as uh, just going over playbooks and things like that, or is it still is yeah, it just we, too we, soon? Well, first of all, you can't because of the, the uh, you know player association rules. We're not allowed to to communicate with the players and, you know, in technical football terms, can't do film, can't do meetings, can't do all that stuff. That's, you know, those are agreements that we have with the CBA and, you know, but we, you know, I, I will on occasion reach out or talk to players on Twitter or whatever that reach out back to us. And, you know, you want to make sure that they, that they know that you're still thinking about them. And the same thing's true with our staff. I mean, I talk to Orlando on occasion, talk to other guys on the staff on occasion, Tommy and Mark and, you know, Randy and Robin and all the guys on our staff, uh, just because they're my guys. I mean, they're, they're our guys. Um, you know, and I feel for them. I feel for the frustrations of a guy like Craig Butler, who's a young father having his second child and just getting started in this business. And, you know, he's been in coaching three years as a full-time coach and two of them have been spent, you know, in a COVID environment. So, I mean, he's facing stuff. He's facing struggles that, as a young coach, I never had to face. So, yeah, yeah, I reach out to him and just, you know, even if it's just a human contact and let him know I'm thinking about him. No, that's that's it. I mean, that's 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 key. Is just maintain those relationships and making sure, as you said, they just, hey, I'm I'm thinking about you. Just want to make sure you're okay. That's that's so crucial. Yep. Now that's exactly right. And and I'm gonna tell you something. I believe our staff, and I, I, I guess I shouldn't say this, but I believe our staff probably does a better job of that than anybody I know. And that comes from the head guy. That comes from our owner. That comes from through Scott to to Berkey to Orlando and all the way through permeates the staff. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've had the success we've had, you know, over time is that, you know, it's the environment that, you know, Mr. Young creates. 
And and Bob Young, Bob Young, I think is so re- well respected in the league, anyways, because I think we saw him sort mm-hmm. of speak out recently. You know, he obviously he wants to play just like everybody else does in in twenty twenty one, and it's I I understand what you're saying by all we're doing is speculating or that type of thing, and unfortunately, that's that's leading into our next topic of conversation, which is the speculation. You know, we're using the word again over the CFL XFL thing. Now, my first question to you coaches, I think it's a very easy question. You've been in the league for such a long time. You've lived through the 3 million dollar loan from the NFL to keep the league afloat <laughs> in the late 90s. I think the yeah. easiest question to ask you is aside and we'll talk about the XFL thing in a minute, but at any point have you ever felt that the CFL was broken? And if so, what was it in particular? Well, it, I mean, certainly it was broke once upon a time because I can remember th- those times when it was very, very clear that if we didn't, and Hugh Campbell, as I don't know, if, and Hugh's such a humble mm-hmm. guy and never, never wants to take credit for anything, but had Hugh Campbell not brokered that deal through Pat Bolin to get that NFL money, um, I'm not sure we'd have a, a, a league right now. I mean, that's how that's how tough it was in, you know, coming off of uh, the 96 season. And that winter was, I mean, that was, as, that was a tough, tough time. So we've been down the road, the tough road before. When you say broken, um, I, I don't know if I, see, I don't know if I get, I, I don't, I don't know what that is, right? I mean, I don't know when you say broken, you'd have to clarify that for me a little bit. Um, well, everybody's talking about how the league is, has its flaws. It hasn't changed in X amount of years. You know, it needs to get updated, you know, possibly bringing in the, the XFL and the ideas of, of Danny Garcia and Dwayne Johnson and, and Redbird Capital will will bring it into the next level and, and you know, into the next century. And what's funny, coaches, I hear that from people that i know it almost sounds exactly what was said back in the late 90s because i i leaked through that too well, I think, so I, i'm no so i'm no sociologist right and this is not a sociological study but there has been a phenomenon that i've been that at least i think since i first came to canada mm-hmm. and that canadians as a group of people are extremely polite are extremely humble and if, in all things other than hockey, have a very uh, inferiority complex, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Because it goes back to that thing that I talked about, is for whatever reason, we don't stand up for our own game so many times or, and haven't for so many years, right? And we got to recognize this is a hell of a game. And it's got great players. And it's not the National Football League. It's a different game. And that's, I think, People have to understand that. So, you know, and and the environment of the two places is completely, utterly, totally different, right? When you compare the United States and Canada, they are complete. They are absolutely, absolutely different in terms of athletic structure, in terms of uh, monetary opportunities for, you know, revenue, right? You look at the National Football League, what they get from their television deal. You know, if you go back and you know history and you know the history of the NFL, 
And, you know, Pete Rozelle, I, I, fellas, I can tell you that in, 19, in the late 1950s, right, as early as the 1950s, late 1950s, college football was much, much, much bigger than NFL football. Much bigger. As a matter of fact, when Bob Ovilovich in, I think, 62 or 63, went to play for the Ottawa Rough Riders after he'd been drafted by the Denver Broncos, he went to Ottawa because he could make more money, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's how recent this whole thing is, within the last 100 years or whatever, yeah. right? Sure. But the reality of it is things changed down there, and they had a commissioner at the right time who recognized that the future of the game was television, right? And so you've got three major networks in the United States. You have one in Canada at that time. There was no TSN. There was nothing else. There was CBC. Okay. (laughs) So now when you have numbers, you have what? You have competition. Mm -hmm. And so the NFL sold itself as a product to TV, got the television companies to start competing for that product right for that property and all of a sudden what happens salaries go out of the roof value of the franchises go out of all of it but to say well somehow we're screwing it up in canada well the fact of the matter is it's a different environment yeah right it's a completely different environment now you know i'm not going to also say that we've done everything right i nobody has but i also think sometimes we take some cheap shots at the league for things that really aren't in the league. The the league can't control that up until how many years ago, you know, CBC would would broadcast the games after Labor Day because there was no no reason to. Right. Right? There's no competition. You don't get better. Right? That's just the way it is. If there's no competition, you're not going to get better because you don't have to. You're not forced to get better. And so... You know, Sportsnet says they're what? Their their property is hockey. That's what they want. So who's who's to compete with TSN for CFL football? Nobody. So if it means that we got to go somewhere else to create competition, to create revenue, I'm all for it. I really think, I think it's business, guys. You got to understand this is, you know, we're not running a museum no. or, a, or a, you know, or a cultural, you know, carnival we're running a business and businesses need revenue and if the revenue is there then they have a responsibility to their business to pursue that revenue Mm -hmm. just like every business does so you know i i i I, sometimes i i shake my head when i hear people (laughs) complain that well we might go get we might go get some money yeah they did go under after five games. Why? Because of the pandemic. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. Don't, don't tell the truth. If you're going to say things, say the whole truth. They went under because of the pandemic after five games. They didn't go under because people weren't going to the games. Look at the crowds in St. Louis. Look at the crowds in Houston. Right. Mm-hmm. Now they weren't all like that, but there was enough of it. Right. So, so again, what's the truth and what's, you know, talking heads, I don't know. Not all of it. I think I think when it comes to that, though, Coach, is that when they think, you know, they try to lump things together in order to make their point. You know, they, you know, why why talk about the XFL? And yes, as you said, five games, but they had to quit because of the pandemic. 
but yet they don't mention the a they don't mention the aaf they don't mention the world football league they don't mention you know what i mean it's everything even the arena league the arena league what even yeah. is, is now gone but yeah but, but and, and again you're not going to if you think right, i'm just going to say this and i mean I, I now i'm getting into some areas i i, I probably shouldn't talk about but <laughs> the reality is we're not going to compete against the nfl fellas it ain't going to happen oh no it is not going to happen right and you know what the nfl wants us to succeed i will tell you that they want more kids playing football they want more fans watching football, mm-hmm. right? So we're important to them, and our success is important to them because if there's no CFL and there's no football in Canada, what happened? Where's Chase Claypool? Yeah. You know, where's, Ann, where's Al Claire? They're not around. They're doing something else. So, you know, they get it. I mean, the NFL gets it. I just had the internet, head of international marketing on my podcast the other day. They get it. They understand. Canada is important to them, and playing football in Canada is important. So, you know, we're, it's just like, you know, gosh, we waste so much time talking about things that, you know, like everybody wants to <laughs> find somebody to put the finger on, right? Everybody <laughs> wants to find somebody to put the, bl- put the blame on. I think, yeah. I think for us, though, Coach, it's that we just want to make sure that the game doesn't change. And I get it. And it is, you know, the game is unique to Canada. We it did okay in some markets in the U.S. when mm-hmm. with that ex, with the experiment, and luckily because of that experiment, the Alouettes came back. Thank God. Um, but if you're if you Tell are it. if you're looking at the current Tell situation, it. what what is what do you think? Because all I want is just some a little bit. Some, first some, of all, some, I, I can't predict, I can't predict what what. If if they're if, you know I don't know I don't I can't, I'm not like I said I mean if I could predict the future right right I would be I would be you know in Vegas and making <laughs> real money right <laughs> wouldn't we all I got listen coach if necessary I I have great sports almanac I can give you here's here's the thing that I think is really important that we all need to understand the game is going to change. The game has changed, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I, I, because I'm enough of a historian of the Canadian game to know that when Gene Gaines told me he was a punt returner in Montreal and you couldn't block for the guy returning the punts, do you remember those? Right, that will change. The game changed, right? Yeah. You used to not get the wrong notion, and then the game changed. Right. So changing of the game is fundamental. Change is growth. The NFL game has changed right. tremendously mm-hmm. in 20 years. You can't, there, are some things, there are some things that you can't do today that you could do routinely 12 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years oh, ago. Oh, yeah. The game is going to continue to change. Now, if you're talking about three downs and the width of the field and all that other stuff, yes. I think, you know, I, I think, yeah, I get that. I get that, that there's going to, but remember, guys, also remember, the in basketball, in the National Basketball Association, the free throw lanes changed. Why? Because the players got bigger and then the game needed to adjust because the game was dying. Right? Right. And mm-hmm. you couldn't dunk. And then you could dunk. All, if, if you don't want change, then you better go to the top of some mountain in, in the Himalayas and get in a cave and spend the rest of it because the world is about change, 
right? Right. And if you if you don't get that, then I I feel sorry for you really because you're gonna you're gonna end up being a, one of those grumpy old men, right? And there's enough <laughs> of those guys around. Just check out you know the newspaper. Check out uh, support the sport page. Check out yeah you know. <laughs> I mean, there's enough of those guys around. The, the doomsday prophet. The, the you know, oh, this is bad. You know, I mean, come on. I mean, the CFL, there will be Canada. I, I just, there's going to be Canadians. There's going to be football players playing. There's going to be universal football. And will it change? change. I mean, they gave, they gave scholarships now in youth sport. Is that a change? It's a tr- When I came to Canada in the 80s, they said that'll never happen. Yeah. Yeah. Never was the word, right? Never happened. Yeah. Well, they're doing it now, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, what did it? Did anybody go under? Did the did the university shut down? Did they drop football any place? Not that I know, right? So, yeah, we change. Life is changing. I'm twenty six anymore, right? So, I can't want to be that anymore. That's that was a past time. Yeah. Loved I, it, loved it, but. Don't I get it. Either. I get it, Coach. And I'm I'm not saying that the league doesn't have to change. This, you know, I understand the league has to adapt, and it's true. You look at any league, and it does change one way or another. Um, I, I I just think, and you're talking about the uniqueness of the game before. I just think for me, if there is a change from three downs to four downs, I think that that's a change that I think needs to be looked. They need to look at something else instead of you know adding an extra down. But that's just me. I can. I think I can. I, and and I'm, I, I'm not going to dispute that, right? And I'm going to say this: that I think the people, if this thing pushes forward, which who knows whether it's going to or not, yeah. I have complete and other utter faith that the people who will shepherd it forward will always keep the history, the traditions, the value of our game foremost in their discussion. Yeah as they try and promote the league and try and promote, you know, the game and try and give value to the fans. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that, that would be crucial right there is just respect the game, honor the game and make sure that it's not left behind. As you said, it's got to adapt. It's got to evolve. So, but keeping some of those traditions in place as well as finding ways to pretty much take over in the 21st century and beyond. Well, think about it this way, guys. I, I mean, some of the biggest players in all of this, right? Think about their, think about their resumes, right? And, and I'm talking about their human resumes. Randy Ambrosi played in the Canadian football league. He played, he was in the locker room. He was on the field. He bled, he sweat, he did it all. He carried it. You know, he, he raised the trophy over his head. Oh, you, you think he doesn't understand what the Great Cup means or what Canadian football means? Wade Miller was one of the best special teams players I ever coached. And he didn't have the ability, didn't have... You think he doesn't understand how important Canadian content is and how important it is that we keep players? Because, you know, when he came out of the University of Manitoba, he could have never made a professional football team. But he got an opportunity because of the CFL and he turned it into a professional career. And now he's running the Bombers. Scott Mitchell's father was the commissioner of the Canadian Football League, right? 
So these guys, and these are the these are the guys. These are some of the guys that are pushing to keep our game alive and keep it going and keep growing it and make it better. These guys have a very, very, very good and deep understanding of what those three letters mean. CFL. Yeah, they get it, and you gotta you gotta trust them that they will do everything in their power. And this is how I feel about it. They'll do everything in their power to make sure, you know, it's like Bob Young says, he's the, he's the, the, he, I don't know what the term he uses. It's like the shepherd of the team. He's not the owner of the, the caretaker, team, uh, caretaker, but he's the caretaker. And we played football in Hamilton and professional football in Hamilton for 150 years, longer than any team in the NFL even thought about it. Right. And it's mm-hmm. his job to make sure that we play professional football in Hamilton for the next 150 years. Right. So we've got guys that are working for us. Right. That you just got to believe them and trust them. And and and, and right now I feel bad for him because everybody is taking pot shots at him. Everybody's taking shots at him. Everybody who has no, you know, it, 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 using it, you know, sources and all that other shit that excuse my language. <laughs> now you got me. Now you got me going. But You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I do. And those guys are fighting. You think that those guys are fighting. They, they're fighting their ass off. So when everybody else goes home and, you know, eats dinner, you know, they got to fight the fight all the time until we get through this crisis that we're in. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, sometimes I think maybe we ought to say, hey, appreciate you. Appreciate you. I know it's tough. How'd you like to be in Randy Ambrose? And every time you stand up, you get punched. Right? Well, mm-hmm. you know... That's what I'm saying. I mean, every once in a while, we got to take a step back and take a look and take a deep breath and say, "Okay, thank you, Scott Mitchell. Thank you, Bob Young. Mm-hmm. You know, thank you, Wade Miller. Thank you for fighting your ass off to keep our game going." Because the easy thing, what's the easy thing? The easy thing is to do what some people have been calling for for you know 18 months, but just roll over and die, right? And these guys are fighting their ass off so that we, whether it's I don't know how many games it's going to be. We're going to, I think we're going to play this year. I believe we're going to play this year. Whether it's 18 games or six games, it doesn't matter. If it's one game, we're going to, I want to play. And that's the way they look at it. Now, they're not in control of it because it's an uncontrollable factor. It's the pandemic. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, with the, with the province of Ontario right now, that's three of the teams in the, in the CFL. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and again, it ain't easy, right? Yeah. And, and Ron Meyer, I won't, uh, Ron Meyer, bless his soul, had a great saying about if, if it was easy, everybody'd do it, right? Yeah. Well, it ain't easy. <laughs> and we're all, you know, we're all fighting for, we're all fighting for what's important to us. Yeah. And that's, again, the, the guys like you guys that, that love the game, that care about the game, and, you know, you're all concerned about the game. Hey, me too. I'm standing in line with you. But I also know this that I got to trust the people that are doing their work. I, I think that's when I speak with some of my fellow season ticket holders coach. And I think, I think this really meant it, when the team asked their season ticket holders to either a keep the money with the team, you know, basically have faith in the league, have faith in the team or to take it back. I didn't second guess. I've been a season ticket holder coach for 24 years. I'm not going to take my season ticket money back for any reason because I have faith in the league and faith in the team that it's going to be back. Awesome. Awesome. 
awesome. Love to hear it. Yeah. Love to hear it. Say it full out, full, you know, full out loud. Yeah. Amplify it when you say it. Yeah. Because there's a ton of guys like you. There's a ton of ladies like you. There's a ton of people like you. And I'm just telling you, when we get back and when we play again, it's going to be, you, you know, it's that old, same old thing. You don't know what you got till you lose it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, we've lost, we've lost a season. And we're going to probably lose a little bit more of the second season. But I'm going to tell you, first time I hear that anthem and I'm in that stadium, and I don't care if there's one person in there or 100,000 of them in there, it's going to be really, really special. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. It, it, it'll be like, uh, the, is, what was it? Was it week one in 2010, Cliff, when uh, the Alouettes played? Uh, the opening game of the season in Saskatchewan, and we had a hell of a game. Yep. And that was on Canada Day. Hopefully something yep, like that. Yep. Yep. So. Well, you know, I'll tell you what. No matter how many games we play, no matter how many you know weekends we get to play, it's all going to be Canada Day when we play. Okay, love you know, that. It's going to be Canada Day every time we tee it up. I love that. I, I agree. I think that uh, people, like I said, you have to take something away from people sometimes to make them truly appreciate something. And I think when it comes back, whether there's fans in the stands or not, I think people will be tuning in. People will be paying attention. And I think people will even start to truly appreciate what they have in this crazy little league of ours. Yeah. 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 I appreciate that. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. Hey, Cliffy, uh, obviously, Coach, we love speaking with you. Uh, Cliffy, go ahead and, and take us home, man. All right. Well, Coach... As far as this year goes, I mean, like I said, there's still so many questions that have to be answered. Uh, personally, though, for you, what are you looking forward mm-hmm. to most in 2021 as far as getting back to football in some way, shape, or form? Well, you know, again, it, to me, it, it's what has always been the most important thing, and that's the relationships. The relationships with the players, the relationships with the other coaches, with the coaches on the other team, with the fans, with everybody that you meet. Uh, you know, the lady that works at Tim Hortons that loves the Ticats, you know, has been a season ticket holder for 40 years. Every one of those relationships is what matters the most. You know, it's, it's it, you, what you find out as you get older and you, and you really start to figure life out a little bit that, you know, in the end, it's the relationships that matter. It's not money. It's not status. It's not, it's, it's, you know, the relationships you have and how you treat people and all that stuff. So, and look, just look forward to being back on those in those environments, and you know that that'll be that'll make everything, you know, worth it. I'm sure. Well said. Well, Coach, we can't thank you enough for joining us this evening. It's been an absolute blast. Uh, really enjoyed chatting with you. Uh, tell us a little bit more before you head out. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the uh, the Coffee with Coach podcast. Well, you know, I, I have a, a Twitter account, which is Jeff underscore Reinbold. You can follow me there or on Coffee with Coach Reinbold. And what we did was this actually started, again, same thing, just a, just as a, somebody asked me one time to take questions on on Twitter uh, when I was over in England doing, doing uh, television, and I would do it in the morning on a Thursday, and so we just gave it a name, Coffee with Coach, and the thing is, thing has kind of grown into now. We had uh, two-time Super Bowl champion Maatana Vasa and, uh, uh, on the show today, and, and 
you know, shoots, we're starting to, we're starting to grow, man. We're starting to get a following and it's really fun. So if they, you know, if you want to follow us, we're every Tuesday, uh, nine 30 in the morning, Hawaii time. And that's 20, uh, 20, 30 greenish mean time. So I don't know what that is on the East coast, but we talk about all things football and some things that aren't football. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and the, the, thing that I think separates us and the reason why we're getting such great response is the fact that it's an interactive podcast. We want the fans to be in with us, to ask questions of guys that you would meet that, you know, on the show that you would never have an opportunity to talk to again in your life, probably. And learn an awful lot. I've been, it's just taking advantage of, you know, all that thing that we say is so important, the relationships you've made all across, you know, football. As I said before, um, I hope that the interview is, was everything that I hyped it up to be. I know Cliff and I, again, I think we came away looking at life a little bit different. Um, not, not necessarily football-wise, but as I said, as far as advice-wise, being able to get somebody, getting it from from coach, uh, what he was able to tell, as I said, not necessarily from football, but in life in general. So it's uh, it, it, was, it was an utter treat. Oh. Absolutely. Uh, just being able to sit and just hear him talk, you feel the passion coming across in his words and everything that he said. And like Coach Reinbold has definitely been a part of this league. And just to hear how fiercely proud he is of his CFL career as a coach and everything he's done for the game of football. And he's gotten, he's given so much of himself to this game and he's gotten so much in return. And it's just positive energy all around. Uh, again, it, it was such an honor and a treat. Coach Mahalo for coming on mm-hmm. and speaking with us this evening. Uh, you said this is the only interview we'll do, but I, I sincerely hope we can have you back on again in the future to talk some more because it was just an absolute, absolute treat. Yeah, agreed. Um, also, we, we can't, before we go, we can't forget to give a quick shout out because we'll talk about this more in another episode um, about uh, former Alouettes head coach Mark uh, Marv Levy being inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Uh, we have a lot more to talk about that in future episodes. Well deserved, and congrats to the Alouettes on, on having uh, uh, basically a, a great promo and a great push for getting him into the uh, Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Well deserved. Absolutely. The fact that he was already in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in America is fantastic and well-deserved for his uh, stellar coaching career down down south. But you can't overlook what he did in his time in Montreal. He was here for five years, but my goodness, did he ever make an impact. And he helped this team win championships, like plural championships. Yeah. So, I mean, like the, the fact that he wasn't in the Hall of Fame already, I was stunned, quite frankly, is that how is Marv leaving in the Canadian Football no Hall of Fame? Eh? What? <laughs> Who dropped the ball on that one? Uh, but you know, you know, better late than never. He's in now. He's going to get inducted. He's going to be a part of history as he should be. And once again, congratulations to Marv Levy and also to Nick Lewis as well, former Alouette, who is also going to be a member of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. That's true. That is true. So I'm, I'm very excited for both of those gentlemen to finally take their place in Hamilton. Uh, at Tim Hortons Field, which is kind of weird to say that's where the Canadian Football Hall of Fame is, but you know that's that's where it is. So <laughs> exactly. But again, they're they are going to become a part of history, and they can never have that taken away from them. So congratulations to both those gentlemen. Definitely an honor, well deserved. 
Uh, if you happen to miss any of our previous episodes, you can head back into our archives. You can head over to alowitzflightdeck.ca and catch all the episodes. But if you head over to a lot of the other uh, podcast aggregates or anybody who hosts a podcast, you can go ahead and check us out there. Uh, most specifically, you can check out over on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, <gasps> and tuned in. <laughs> I think it would just be easier to say where you can't find us, which is... I think pretty much if you if you've got a pod if you can if you listen to podcasts you can find us pretty easily. Just type in Alouette's Flight Deck. And I'm fairly confident you're going to find us. Yes. In, in, in somehow some way you will find this podcast. I mean, worst case scenario, you go to the website www.alouette'sflightdeck.ca. Boom, episodes are right there. Yeah. But again, if you if you're in love with a certain sp- uh, platform like Spotify or Google or Apple or any of the things like that. By all means, you can find us there. So by all means, folks, like us, subscribe to us, give us a shout out. Hey, leave us a review. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review on Google Podcasts. We, we'd love to see what you guys have to say. Um, also, if you happen to see Cliff in that schnazzy and oh, fire merchandise of our new logo, uh, you can head over to our uh, to our shop over at teespring.com slash stores slash Al's Flight Deck to pick up some of your merch. We've seen some some of our listeners do so. Everybody looks fire, dude. Everybody looks oh, yeah. fire. So uh, that's no, cur- it's cr- currently available. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely great. Uh, like I said, I, I love how it looks on us. I, I think you and I both, we, we rock it. And it's great to see others are starting to buy the merch as well, which is so cool. We definitely appreciate each and every one of you doing this. I mean, believe me, we're not making any money off of this. We no. just we just want to help pr- promote the podcast. And if you're willing to help us with that too, you have our eternal thanks and appreciation for hey, that. that all over so, shirt that you got, you and Mike, Mike that got the, the all over shirt. <laughs> oh man, that's so good. Isn't it great? <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, like I'm the one thing I'm looking forward to more than anything else this summer. If if we can just get football in some way, shape, or form, I, I just want to be able to go and rock that shirt and get people talking about it. Because believe me, it's a conversation starter. It is that that that's guaranteed. I mean, I'm more of a t-shirt guy. I, I'm 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 quite happy with the ones that I've got. But the, yeah, those are those are fire. <laughs> they are fire, as the kids say. Yeah. Um, as I said, we will be back. Um, hopefully it won't be as long before our, our next episode, but obviously with the current situation with the CFLs going through, um, we will be back more, probably sooner than later, but stay tuned. So for everybody here at Alouette's Flight Deck for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. Run final approach. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.